morning. My name is Larry Robb of Long Island Youth Mentoring. I'm also a member here at New Village. I'm out so often that sometimes I feel like I have to reintroduce myself when I come back. So that's for those of you who forget who I am. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to be able to um, be here and worship the Lord with you this morning. And uh, I just want to say um, a very heartfelt thank you to everyone here for, um, for the financial support that we receive. Uh, just for, whoa, so many, uh, that's not going to work, so many different ways that you guys support us, support us, and especially your prayer support. The longer we're out there, the more we realize uh, how much we need the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ like you, especially uh, from our home, home church. So I, I do ask you, please pray for us, pray for our family, uh, pray for our ministry as you think about us. It's, uh, it's just so very important, and we do need that uh, undergirding in that regard. I'm really excited to be able to share on this Mission Sunday, the Ministry of Youth Mentoring. I'm also excited that uh, my brother Ken McQuiller is here to share with us uh, a ministry that he's involved with on Long Island as well, and you'll hear about that in, in a few minutes. My hope is that uh, as we focus on missions this next week, on local missions this next week, that the people that you're going to hear from, myself, Ken, Doreen Jansen, thank you, Clay Williams uh, from Youth for Christ, that, that we're going to be informative and challenging uh, all at the same time, and that as you are hearing from us, that you'll consider what it is that the Lord is calling you to do, and then to respond to that call, getting per perhaps even getting involved in one of the, the numerous opportunities that you're going to hear today and next week. And to that end, I want to open with a scripture that's going to be very familiar, I'm sure, to uh, most of us here in Acts 1-8, where Jesus says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And some of you are probably thinking, what a surprise. It's Mission Sunday, and that's a scripture that he's picking. It's not very original. And in some ways, you're probably right, but, but this is a missions conference. And I, I don't know if I've ever gone to a missions conference where I haven't heard that, that scripture, you know, where it speaks about ministering at home and ministering in the next town over and the next state over and to the furthest reaches of the earth. I'm going to be using a number of different scriptures today, a number of different stories and videos as well to kind of highlight um, what it is that I'll be speaking about. And uh, Pastor Mark, when we were kind of emailing about today, basically said, describe the importance of what you do and then use a video to show a changed life. Help people to look at the powerful difference they can make in people's lives who are right in our midst. So in our Jerusalem, if you will. And I want to give you a vision today for just a few of the many things that we can be a part of here on Long Island and expanding God's kingdom here on Long Island. So let's just pray quick. Lord, we thank you that uh, we can come here to worship you, Lord, corporately as a group. Thank you, Father, that this is uh, a missions-minded church, Lord. And I pray that uh, as we hear from you this morning, collectively and individually, uh, Lord, that you would move us to action. Uh, Father, that we would truly just seek your face in these things, Lord. What is it that you would desire for us to do? How is it that you would desire for us to serve you uh, right here in our own hometowns? And uh, we just lift all this up to you in Jesus' name. So to set the stage, I want to look uh, a bit at the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we're only going to kind of do a flyover of Nehemiah. Um, so I do recommend that, that you would read, just regarding what I'm speaking about this morning, chapters 1 through 6 uh, on your own time to get the full context of, 
uh, what is going on in the book of Nehemiah. But suffice it to say that uh, Jerusalem was, was leveled. I mean, it was like wiped out by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And now at the time of Nehemiah, it's about uh, one and a half centuries or so later. The temple has been rebuilt already for some 50 years, give or take. But the walls protecting Jerusalem are still not ha- having been rebuilt. And so uh, David just read some scriptures for us. I just want to uh, kind of go back a little bit to chapter 1 where he was reading from. And just, just listen to Nehemiah's heart here and listen to his passion. He says, They said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and, and mourned for days. For days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and who keep His commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my Father's house have sinned. Lord, I beseech you, may your ears be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. So again, you hear Nehemiah's passion. You hear his love for the Lord, his love for the people, and and he intercedes on their behalf. And as he says, he cries out to the Lord and he mourned and he fasted for days. Nehemiah's passion reminds me of of Paul in Romans 10 where he writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is this, that they may be saved. Is that our prayer? Is that our heart for the people of Lake Grove, of Centerreach, of Selden, of Ronkonkoma, St. James, Setauket? wherever it is that you live, wherever your Jerusalem is. What was it that the Lord had put on Nehemiah's heart at this point? And I'm just going to read a little bit from chapter 2 where it says, And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I gave him a definite time. And his book goes on to describe how God through the king gave Nehemiah favor so that he could begin rebuilding the wall. And now this, this was not without its problems. I don't know of any ministry that is without its problems and this calling was no different in fact, what Nehemiah was going to do is more dangerous, was more dangerous than probably anybody here will ever be called to do, I'm guessing. But Nehemiah went. At one point, it was so dangerous as they were rebuilding the wall, we read in Nehemiah 4, that people were basically working with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. 
because they never knew if they were going to be attacked, when an attack might come. Nehemiah suffered alongside of the people, and he worked alongside them as well. They were threatened. There was many, many attempts to discourage them, and yet they persevered and completed rebuilding the Jerusalem wall. I just wanted to read to you a little bit of uh, some information I found in, in the commentary where it says, like many biblical leaders, Nehemiah demonstrated an understanding of God's call over his life. When as cupbearer to a king, whether as cupbearer to a king or as a rebuilder of Jerusalem, Nehemiah pursued his goals with commitment, careful planning, strategic delegation, creative problem solving, focus on the task at hand, and a continual reliance on God, particularly regarding areas beyond his control. So often we're, we're concerned with the unknown or things that aren't in our control. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. He demonstrated his commitment by his interest and his deep concern over the condition of his fellow Jews in Judah. Next, Nehemiah prayed and planned. He claimed God's promise to bring his people back to the promised land, but he did not assume that he would be part of God's action, but he declared himself available. When he arrived in Jerusalem, Nehemiah personally inspected the need before he revealed his plans. Then he enlisted the help of the local leadership. He challenged them to take responsibility for the common good. He placed before them a specific goal to rebuild the wall. Workers were assigned to work on the wall where it ran closest to their homes. And as the work moved forward, Nehemiah did not allow himself to be distracted by attacks of various kings or tricks from the enemy. He took threats seriously enough to arm the people, but not so seriously that the work came to a halt. They pushed on, they pushed on, they pushed on. At every turn, we find Nehemiah conferring. At every turn, we find Nehemiah conferring in prayer with God, placing every decision before him. He succeeded because he never lost sight of the reasons for the work and the source of power with which to accomplish the work. So a few quick points regarding um, what Nehemiah was called to do and what he went through and how he handled it. He felt called to this task, and then he answered that call. He made himself available to God for that which he was called. He was available. Lord, here I am. We see that in Scripture numerous times. Lord, here I am. He knew this project was not about him, but this was for the kingdom. He prayed, and he prayed a lot. He trusted God even with all the threats and difficulties that were facing them throughout the, the task of rebuilding this wall. He trusted God, and Nehemiah completed his task. In Nehemiah 6.15, we read, So the wall was completed on the 25th month of Elul in 52 days. 52 days they rebuilt the wall. That is amazing. It was not easy and it was very costly in a lot of different ways. And as I was like considering these things, I, I was reminded of um, one of our mission speakers, who I don't remember what his name was, from a few years ago. He, he quoted a scripture in a verse that I've never forgotten. He said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Jesus tells us to count the cost, and that we must do, but in doing so, if it is costly, or if it is hard, or even when it is discouraging at times, and it will be, that is not a good enough reason to not answer the call. Sometimes when you're in the thick of it, when you have answered the call and things are not going well, you're tempted to give up. 
And in those times, sometimes all we need to do is take the next step. Uh, Gina and I have a, have a wonderful friend who was in our homeschool group for many years, and uh, they have 11 children. And um, th- we asked her one time, we said, Karen, how do you do all the things that you need to do? And she said, I just do the next thing. Every day, I just do the next thing. And when we're in the midst of something that God has called us to, even if it's the most difficult point in that ministry or task or whatever it is, sometimes we just need to continue and do the next thing. It sounds pretty simple, uh, but we do need to continue to be faithful. Keeping on, keeping on, as it were, uh, in the ministry that God has called us to. And trusting, as Nehemiah did, that God will be faithful. And then just one other point regarding the rebuilding of the wall itself, and and really this is uh, my favorite part. One of the keys to completing this mission of rebuilding the wall was this. Each person, each family took responsibility in taking care of their own section in front of their own house or in their community, right there, very about as local as you can get, right in front of where they live. They took responsibility for that, which was right in front of them, and they finished the wall. They didn't waste time with unbiblical thinking such as, well, who is my neighbor? You know, if we're asking that question, well, who is my neighbor? We're kind of missing the point. You know, am I responsible for them or not? We are. We are. So they got to work and they did what God called them to do, each in their own little space, separate in the sense that they were responsible for maybe just this little area, yet together the whole could only be as strong as the sum of those individual parts. In Nehemiah chapter 3, just to give you a small sampling, if you read the whole chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it's wonderful the way you see this. But in verse 21, it says, After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the doorway of Eliashib's house, even as far as the end of his house. And after him, the priest, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashab carried out repairs, excuse me, in front of their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, Messiah, son of Ananiah, carried out repairs behind his, beside his house. And it keeps going on like that. He carried out repairs in front of his house. He carried out repairs beside his house. And that's how it got done. That's how it got done. And that, that section, as I was reading through it, it reminds me of when uh, I used to go to Queens when, I was, when we were kids. Uh, my, all four of our grandparents lived in Maspeth, Queens. And they had a very neat neighborhood. And every time we went there, I remember seeing little old ladies and little old men sweeping in front of their homes and sweeping in front of their shops. Everyone took care of their place right in front of their home. And the whole neighborhood was neat and it was safe. And it was a community that thrived. And there was families that watched out for one another and watched out for each other's kids. And then family children were raised and they were sent out. And there were so many variations regarding what the Lord may be calling each one of us to do, and and it's different. It's different what it is for you than what it is for me. But we need to look at those things. And and one of the opportunities that we have before us today is uh, my friend Ken McQuiller is going to come up. And and Ken is uh, means a brother in the Lord, and, and, um, you know, we've known each other for a very, very long time. And there's stories that uh, I could tell you that I I won't bother with right now, but 
Um, he is a cancer survivor. I don't know if he's going to tell you that when he's talking about his ministry, but he had colorectal cancer. And man, it was bad. And it was not looking good. And, and the Lord did an amazing thing. And he now has called him to uh, cancer care ministry. So he's going to uh, just speak to you for a few minutes about an opportunity that we want to lay before you. I know there's no better way to engage an audience than to give away free stuff. <laughs> is that good? So, but you're going to earn it, though. I'm going to ask a couple of questions. So this is a true or false question. Over 1.5 million people every single year in the United States is diagnosed with cancer. Is that true or false? True. true. Uh, who said true? For, oh, right here. Yeah, great job. <laughs> Let's give it up. Five dollars. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts, everybody likes Dunkin' America runs on Dunkin', right? So everybody has to like Dunkin' Donuts, right? Absolutely. All right, this is true or false. Will the Yankees come back and win this series? No. Who said true? I heard true over there. Okay, so we don't know, but that's going from a bet man, but I want to see. I want to see the Yankees win, right? Congratulations. Great job. Um, true or false, over 12 million people right now or battling cancer in the United States? Over 12 million people. Who said true back then? True right then. Oh, absolutely. I'm coming running back there. Great job. Let's see what else. All right. This might be a little bit of a tricky question. Um, who is the best wireless phone provider in the United States? Sprint! Sprint! That was an unfair advantage. I work for Sprint, so, yeah. Uh, what can you say? Um, and so, football question. I don't know. We're a little down in the NFL these days. But will the Giants have a better record than the Jets this year? True or false? Everybody said no. I don't know. I'm just going I'm to give, uh, I'll just give this a great job. Great job. Now, you guys are going to, um, you guys are going to have to earn those, that $5 of coffee. I'm going to ask you to do this. When you use that, and that when you use it for a cup of coffee or a donut or any, anything you want to use it for, um, I'm going to ask that you say a little prayer for the person that just got diagnosed with cancer, because it is probably happening right at that moment that we're having that cup of coffee. Hmm. So, amen? We'll, we'll do that? All right. All right. I'll come up here now. <laughs> Thanks. Um, leave my phone there. news. Yeah, yeah, either way. Doesn't matter, right? Whatever Robbie okay. says. So guys, I'm Kenny McQuiller, and um, I've known Larry forever since like the 40s or 50s, somewhere around there. No, we're not, <laughs> we're not, we're not that old, but um, and it's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me this morning. I'm going to talk a little bit about, I won't talk too much about my journey. I'll just say it briefly, but I'll start by saying that my journey is unfortunately not the norm. See, I got diagnosed with colorectal cancer back in 2008. And yeah, the diagnosis wasn't that great, but almost immediately, immediately, I was surrounded by my family, my wife, and my, my brother, Larry, Gina. They really led the charge, so I had my friends that really surrounded me and prayed for me nonstop. I had my work family that surrounded me, prayed for me nonstop. My church family, same thing. 
you would think that that would be the norm, right? Mm. Unfortunately, we're finding that it's not. And so back in 2011, I was declared cancer-free after about a three-year battle. And at that point, I, I was just very, very relieved. But last year around this time, God was just pulling me and pulling me and pulling me. And I kind of figured out finally what it was mm. that God was pulling me to help others, to share my journey with others. And about a month after I put up a website, um, I got an email out of the blue from the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Everybody's heard of, of them. They're um, a hospital down in Philadelphia. It's the closest one. There's five of them throughout the country. And they partnered with a ministry called Our Journey of Hope because they figured out something that I think everyone in this room knows. When you have the Lord by your side, you can beat anything. And mm -hmm. so I got to spend two days to get formally trained back in February to then certify, to get certified and trained to train other people to become cancer care ministers. And so that's what our Journey of Hope ministry is about. I want to go into um, a, little bit of, a little bit more of what it's about, and I'll go through the slides pretty quickly. We can go to that next slide. And, and so cancer care ministry is a hope ministry. While it provides and, and it involves prayer, counsel, visits and assistance. By the way, one of the things is that you start to learn a little bit more of what your gifts are. I always thought I just had the gift to speak and be a little bit funny. Um, but one of the gifts I didn't realize through this journey that I, I actually have is to do hospital visits. I just, I was never comfortable doing that before. And, and just through this ministry, I've become very, very comfortable sitting and praying by someone's bed. And, and, and I have to tell you, that makes such a huge difference. Um, you know, the people that came to see me when I was in the hospital, it just, just was unbelievable. Um, Visits and assistance is centered on bringing God's hope to patients and their caregivers. We can't forget about caregivers. Anybody in here a caregiver or has been a caregiver? Um, boy, oh boy, it's, it's a special, special calling on your life to just have your life stop and take care of someone. So we minister to caregivers as well, um, family and friends. The impact on the family is just enormous. So it requires an understanding, though, of the impact of cancer, how people react to it everybody reacts to it a little bit differently and how God has called his people to respond, his people, us, to respond. Above all, it requires us to have within ourselves an unfaded hope that we can take to those in need, bringing hope to people that really need it. we go to the next slide. Um, so why is cancer different? Well, as we know, cancer attacks the body. It's an assault of rogue cells that take over the body and break down everything in their path. But its attack is no less intensive on the mind and the spirit. So while that cancer is attacking the body, it also can attack your mind and it can break down your spirit. Yet there remains something that cancer cannot conquer, and that, my friends, is hope. Cancer care ministry requires unique insights, both into the disease and into God's word. The purpose of our journey of hope is to equip you everybody with these insights and help you cultivate and carry the hope which so many are longing for. We go to the next slide. So think about the impact here, guys. Imagine you're feeling afraid, rejected, alone, powerless, ashamed, and hopeless. I have to say I didn't have any of those feelings when I got my diagnosis and when I was going through the excruciating treatments that I had to go through, the surgeries that I had to go through. I didn't feel any of this. 
because I had the hope of the Lord right beside me. I had people that just surrounded me. I knew when people were praying for me. Um, but again, my story is not, it should be the norm. It's actually kind of unique, unfortunately. Envision then if someone comes to you and says words that no one else has said. Larry did that for me a lot of times. Um, and it does things that no one else has done and leaves you feeling with courage, strength, dignity, and hope for the future, which is probably what God's plan is. Hmm. So how would that affect you? What if it changed one day? What about 10 days? What about 100 days? What if it helped you through to see another whole season of your life with hope? With hope. That's such a key word there. Potential impact of our ministry and of bringing hope to people who are going through cancer is indescribable. And I'll wrap up with this last slide. Um, our journey of hope is just that it, what it says. It's a ministry of hope, courage, and compassion. Um, and the scripture here is from Jeremiah 29, 11. It's probably familiar to, to everyone here. For, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So my purpose was twofold this morning, guys. And um, one is if you're interested in becoming a cancer care minister, there are two different ways for you to do that. I will stay around after and, and give you all the information you need. The first way is to actually attend a training like I did. Philadelphia is the closest one. I think the next one from there is Georgia. If you want to take a flight to there or to Illinois or Arizona or down to Florida is where the other centers are at. But there is specific training. It's a, it's a two-day training. It is free of charge to go. You get some great, great materials. I have a few of them with me. And you have to actually go through this training manual. Then you can come back to your church and actually train other people. I've been doing that at Christ Church in Port Jeff. We have a team of 11 people right now that I've trained and certified, and we are ministering to several, several people that are going through cancer right now in a variety of ways. Um, the second, if you can't give those two weeks, I'm glad to train and certify you. That's going to take eight weeks, though, um, because it is eight different sessions and then it is um, uh, two-hour sessions actually with me um, to actually go through and, and go through all the material. I will be here after to give any information if anybody's more interested in it. I just I want to thank Pastor for um, inviting me this morning. And just, um, you know, just, just say those prayers, man. Um, I, I think everybody here, and maybe I'll ask you to raise your hand real quick. How many of you do know someone right now that is affected with cancer or going through? Gosh, that's about three quarters of, of the congregation, and um, we can help. That, that's all I'll say with, with, with the Lord's plan, and, uh, you know, the battle is already won. Again, uh, not everybody realizes that, but we can bring hope to people. So thank you, guys. I'll turn it back over to Larry. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Larry. All right. Yeah, just bring it down. Just bring it down. So anyway, it's that, that's one opportunity that we wanted to present to you today, and you know, it's such a difficult road to walk alone, and there's, there's brothers and sisters in Christ willing to come alongside of people in that position, and, um, but we need so many more. So is God calling you to that? And I, I do want to share with you about uh, youth mentoring. I know many of you are familiar with what we do at this point, and you've heard me uh, speak of it a lot. Um, but just really briefly, Youth Mentoring is a ministry that partners with the local Christian church, and we make matches. A match is one mature Christian adult with 
uh, one match to one child who needs a friend, who needs a mentor, someone to come alongside of them, to show them that they are important, that God cares about them, and that they have value not only because He created them, but He also cares for them. And I could stand up here and tell you stories all day long, but uh, Stephen's going to queue up a video where um, you're going to hear a, a few different videos in the next uh, few minutes. There she goes. <laughs> okay, wait. Yeah, you're just going to hear Jeanette and Tanisha. Go ahead. <laughs> um, my birth mother, uh, she had seven kids. All were separated. My birth mother got raped by um, someone in our family. When our mother was pregnant, she was taking drugs. Mentally, she was really okay. I go to spend time with gospel tabernacle. And uh, Vince from Long Island New Metro came in and, and did um, they spoke at, at the altar. And his request was to uh, have volunteers uh, for new mentors and the good Lord touched my heart. And I, I did call uh, with Melanie Mentor and then uh, started the process. I was adopted when I was two years old. But my aunt, I was with her kids, and her kids' kids bullied me. I was treated like crap. I used to clean up everything. I, I, I didn't know what to do at the point. At that point, I wanted to give up. You know, so I, that's when I just finally was like, you know what? I'm not going to give up because this is not how they're going to treat me, and this is not how my life is going to be. I'm going to be somebody one day. I don't want to grow up like her kids did because none of her kids completed high school. All her kids had kids at like a younger age, 16, 17. And I'm looking at myself and I'm like, I don't want this. I reached out to Vince and um, I finally was like, you gotta get me mental. Like, you know, like, because where I'm at right now, it's not, it's not a place where I wanna be. No, no joke. The next day, Vince called goes, I have the perfect match for you. He said, all right, is it possible we can meet tomorrow? I said, this is perfect. I said, let's do this, let's do this. So I got, I got all dressed up. And um, so Vince walked through the door, and then I see Jeanette. When I met her, I was like, oh, this is going to work out nicely. I could see it in her face already that we already connected. I was like, this is the one. When she walked through the door, my, my literally a giant anchor just like came off my back. And then that's when God was like, she's going to help you. No matter how bad, no matter how good, you know, it's just she's going to be there, you know. And, and, I, and I felt that. Since our relationship, I feel we bonded very much so through the years because I was able to tell her things that I wouldn't be able to tell anyone else. It's just she feels like a mother. She's not a friend. She's a mother. I go to church every Sunday, but one of the days that I was in church, I was like, oh, I want to I get baptized. She's like, you, you serious? I said, yeah. So I was going through my Bible. It said, what made you consider God as your Lord and Savior? And it led me right to Ephesians. On the day of my baptism, at the end, when I sit down for the service, I look up at the screen, and guess what's on the screen? Just take a while, guess what's on the screen? It's, it's that same scripture that was on the screen. It was meant for me to be baptized that day. So I was born. A lot in her life has really, really changed. But the Lord has taken everything I, that was in process, and now it's just coming together. 
it made more sense. Everything made so much more sense since I've been baptized. They were matched over six years ago, and you can see how God has worked in Tanaj's life through Jeanette, and there's so much more to the story than that, um, but we just praise God for, for people like Jeanette that have stepped up to, um, you know, to, to walk alongside of a young person, and um, our executive director is uh, John Craig, and uh, he's the person that's over me at Long Island Youth Mentoring. He's been in that role for 31 years. And since you've heard me talk about this ministry so many times, I, I just wanted you to hear John's heart for just a couple of minutes as he talks about youth mentoring as well. I grew up in a pastor's That's what we do with youth mentoring, two to four hours per week, once a week for an initial commitment of one year, coming alongside of just one child or just one teenager living in a group home. Uh, 
not all the kids live in the group homes. Some of the teenagers live in group homes. That's a Bridges ministry. Or being a tutor at our homework club in Brentwood on Monday afternoons and teaching a young one how to read. Or being matched to one of the moms of one of our youth mentoring kids. There's many different opportunities and all of them give us the chance to spread the gospel one person at a time through relationships. And you, I welcome you to, to ask myself, to ask uh, Jaina, to ask um, our daughter Rebecca, my sister-in-law Carolyn, uh, June Tedesco, Karen, or Glenn Boassi. All of us here that I just mentioned are, are either matched or have been matched, and uh, we can help to answer your questions. And there's one more uh, video that I want to play, and I want you to meet uh, Keith and John Mark. They, they've been matched for over seven years at this point. I was raised in a home without a father. I was getting bullied a lot in school, which was a major issue. Uh, as you know, as grades went by, right, um, it got more and more uh, tormenting, more uh, more physical, like more physical. My mom had uh, questions to get the mentoring. You know, uh, I didn't want it at first because um, I didn't want it. And if you do with people, John Mark was my first, uh, my first mentor experience. It didn't come naturally. Uh, just you know, something that happened. But after three or four years of uh, prayer, and of course, you know, we we, we got to leave on the Holy Spirit, kind of nudge us to find just the right time. Because uh, I kind of been uh, a little, little afraid, a little apprehensive, a little anxious to, to actually delve into that. Spoken first of all, not scared. Um, I, I can tend to be a little precarious. Um, uh, I've been accused of being loquacious at times. I didn't want to scare him away and have nervousness. Um, do most of the talking. I want to give him a chance to talk and ask the questions that made him feel comfortable. So when I met Keith, I was, I was what kind of in that stage where I was just kind of just finding <coughs> where I was, you know, um, kind of just starting to want to break out of the barrier. So I wanted him to be comfortable. Jesus said, 
this uh, indescribable kind of feeling of, uh, you know, knowing that it's going to be okay for now. They uh, put it very well, and, and I think uh, what Keith said, too, in, in terms of uh, not running away from it and, and even spending time, you know, you might not see the impact here on earth. You know, First um, Corinthians 3, 6, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase, you know, so planting those seeds one at a time, and, and it might take someone else to come alongside of them to water it and someone else to water it after that and someone else to water it after that. But there's young people out there that are waiting for a friend, for someone to come alongside of them and to, to tell them these things. Um, we currently have 250 matches, give or take. You know, it kind of fluctuates from uh, week to week, month to month. We also have 133 children on our waiting list. It's 113 boys and 20 girls, and that does not include the group homes, and that does not include the homework club. But within just a six-mile radius of this church, is 15 boys and three girls waiting uh, for someone to come alongside of them, to be a friend, to be that mentor to them. And so, uh, you know, if that's what God's calling you to do, just asking you to come talk to me afterwards. I, I think we put the bulletin inserts out in everybody's bulletin. I don't have one in front of me here. I have it somewhere. I just don't know what I do with it. But, um, you know, it's a wonderful ministry. And going back to the Nehemiah thing and taking care of the section of the wall just in front of our own home just in front of our own place. You know, that's what things like mentoring are. That's what things like cancer care are. Because in both of those things, you know, a lot of times you might just be dealing with one person or, or one family, you know, and making a difference and, and possibly making a difference for all eternity. So I just lay those things before you and, and just say, you know, really seek the Lord and ask God, what, what is it that you're calling me to? Maybe you're already like so involved with ministry that that you don't even have time for anything else. And you know what? That, that, that's fine. But if, if you're not sure, or if you know you're not doing what the Lord's called you to do, even if you're not sure what it is that He's calling you to do, please, you know, I mean, talk to Pastor Mark. Talk to me. Talk to somebody, another brother or sister in Christ, and, and pray through that. 
and, and see what it is that God is calling you to. You know, we need to rebuild that wall. You know, and it's going to be done one section at a time. And in this case, one person at a time. There's so much work to do right here at home. We don't need to necessarily get on a plane. We don't need a passport to do it. And we just want to say, Lord, move us into action. So please think on these things. I'm going to close in prayer and then Jane is going to uh, sing a song. And um, it's probably a song that most of you, if not all of you, haven't heard yet. We just heard it like last week or two weeks ago, but it's really, really powerful. Um, so after we're done praying, I'll ask you to, to sing and, and I mean to stand and just sing it out. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you have revealed the truths of the gospel to us. And then, Lord, you don't want us to hide those truths under a bushel. Father, you want us to bring those truths to a world that is dying without that truth. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that each of us would just truly seek your face and seek your heart and say, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do? And then not to be afraid, as Keith said, don't be afraid and run away from the call, but run to it and trust God in that as Nehemiah did. And he faced so much more than we will probably ever face. And yet, he completed the wall. So Lord, we just lift these things up to you and we thank you so much in Jesus' name. And I, I do just want to tell you one other thing. Um, I probably told you this before, but um, you know, in the first 29 years of my life, one person, one person shared the gospel with me in 29 years. Surely, I'd met more Christians than that in 29 years. Right, honey.